Russia's over fears of a coup. Mr. Sarkissian refused to sanction the move. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the start of a new week on Money Talk, Monday the 24th of January. Welcome to the show, this is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Global equities suffered their worst week in over a year last week as the sell-off in technology stocks spilled over into other sectors. Other risk assets were also impacted, including high-yield bonds and cryptocurrencies. The FTSE All World Index of developed and emerging market shares fell 4.2% over the five trading days, recording its steepest weekly decline since October 2020. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva said an increase in US rates could throw cold water on the global recovery and have significant implications for countries with higher levels of dollar-denominated debt. Speaking at the Davos online meeting Friday, she said it was hugely important that the Fed was clearly communicating its policy plans to prevent surprises. Consumer prices in Japan rose for the fourth consecutive month in December. The country's consumer prices rose half a percent from a year earlier, boosted by surging energy costs, which rose 16.4%. The CPI saw its fastest pace in almost two years in November and December, but for the full year, the CPI fell 0.2%. China has vowed to curb the influence of its tech giants on governments and break the ties between money and power. According to a communique released following the plenary session of the Communist Party's top anti-graft group, the government will root out corruption that has enabled disorderly growth and monopolies and dismantle internal factions and interest groups. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong from Ample Capital and Sunil Kashap at FinMet with a view from mainland China. is Shannon Wu, chairman at Zheng Wong Bao. On Wall Street Friday, the Nasdaq Composite tumbled 2.7% to 13,769. The Nasdaq fell for the fourth straight week, losing 7.6%, the biggest weekly slide since the coronavirus pandemic hit global financial markets back in March 2020. And the index is now down almost 15% since its November high and its worst start to a year in at least 30 years and putting it deep into correction territory. The broader S&P 500 closed 5.7% lower for the week, ending at 4,398. The S&P 500 closed below its 200-day moving average, ending a 409 trading day streak above it, which is the longest period in eight years. This, uh, the Dow also closed below its 200-day moving average, losing 450 points on Friday and 4.6% over the week to end at 34,265, finishing its worst weekly performance since October 2020. Disappointing results from Netflix weighed on tech stocks at the end of last year. Uh, last week, shares of the TV and video streaming service plunged almost 22% Friday after it warned of slowing subscriber growth, wiping 49 billion US dollars from its valuation. Amazon dropped 6% Friday and 12% over the week and has fallen into a bear market, down almost 23% since November. 
Stock markets also fell across Europe, with the regional stock 600 equity gauge falling 1.4% for the week, its third consecutive weekly loss. London's FTSE 100 was down 0.6% over the five days. The MSCI Asia-Pacific index slipped 0.9% Friday, taking its losses for the week to to 1.7%. South Korea's Cosby index was the worst performing benchmark in Asia, losing 3% over the five days. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index fell 0.9% Friday to 3,523, leaving it flat on the week. But Hong Kong stocks bucked the trend across the rest of the world. The Hang Seng Index inched up 0.1% or 13 points to 24,966. For the the week, the index added 2.4%, its fifth consecutive weekly rise, the longest streak in almost two years. And the Hang Seng Tech Index slipped 0.4% Friday, trimming its weekly gain to 1.8%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil rallied for the fifth straight week. It added 2% and is trading at $87.63 a barrel this morning. Copper was up 2% for the week. Gold is up for the fifth week out of the past six, adding 1% to $1,836 an ounce. The yield on the 10-year benchmark Treasury note fell four basis points to 1.77% Friday. That's the largest one-day yield decline since December the 3rd. Two-year yields dropped back below 1% on Friday. And the US dollar index ended the week 0.5% higher, its best week in the last five. The euro this morning at $1.13.5. The buck's worth 113.7 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.35.5 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 55 cents. The Chinese yuan is trading at 6.34 versus the dollar. Bitcoin lost as much as 16% Friday and dropped further over the weekend, taking the decline since its peak in November to 50% now. And it's trading this morning at $36,200, its lowest level in six months. Uh, taking a look around Asian stock markets this morning, the ASX 200 in Australia is down 0.4%. Stocks in Japan have just opened. The Nikkei 225 is off 1.1%. Cosby in South Korea down about 0.6%. Futures markets indicating about a 350.4 for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Let's go and join our guests. We have with us, as always, on a Monday, Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also joining us, Sunil Kashap, who is Director at FinMet. Morning, Sunil. Good morning. Um, well, you heard there in the market rundown, a bad week globally for, for stocks, particularly in the US. Um, what is it that spooked markets last week? Well, first of all, uh, the weak high concerns. And then I think the, the later part is more due to Netflix, because uh, the earnings uh, from Netflix actually are are quite disappointing so and and now people treat uh, almost every company like Netflix so they are quite scared of uh, others uh, tech stocks so for this week uh, it would be very critical because uh, we would have uh, uh, other mega techs uh, to announce results and I think the market need uh, probably Apple Microsoft to save and and is the decline in Netflix I mean we saw it reporting 
less new subscribers. Is it a sign maybe that consumer demand is starting to run out of steam for these stay-at-home stocks? Uh, I think uh, it would run out of steam for the stay-at-home stocks because of uh, people uh, perceive uh, the pandemic is a uh, is a near. Uh, the end. I think uh, they, they, at least the influence on the economy is near the end. So the stay-at-home um, sectors actually would be uh, influenced. But I don't think uh, Netflix would be contingent to, to all of the other companies. Not all companies like Netflix. And I, I think uh, this is more the problem of the streaming uh, business rather than the whole economy. Mm. So Neil, what's your uh, assessment of what's I think, going I think, wrong? I mean, I, I'd like to take, take a step back. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about declines in the last couple of weeks and 20% and 30% kind of numbers, but you have to look at the historical context. If you look back um, on this day two years ago, uh, the NASDAQ uh, from that day, NASDAQ at that time was 9,100-odd. So you basically, NASDAQ has gone up 50% in two years. Mm. Right? So you compare that with a typical annual increase over the last 40 years of the stock markets of about 8 to 10%. Mm. So it was a huge uh, increase that we saw. And so even with the recent declines, it's still up 50%. So w- what I'm saying is that it's, uh, I think in the overall context of what's happening, we've known for some time now that the markets had r- run up quite a lot. The PEs had gone way above 20, 25, 30, 40. So there was some unrealistic um, uh, expectations built up. And what you're seeing now is just a realization that not all the expectations will get realized into reality. Mm-hmm. And so uh, things like Netflix, you know, Netflix is, was trading at huge valuations, assuming that the whole world is going to be watching Netflix. <laughs> and so I think now you have a situation that okay, th- things are slowing down, competition is coming in. Right, and so the subscriber base is getting spread out across various places, um, including in Hong Kong. You can see, you know, more and more people are subscribing to Disney Plus, for example, or or Apple Plus, etc. So that 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 competitive threat is that really what's being reflected in the stock price. And where does the Fed fit in here? Presumably, the more hawkish the Fed gets, the more pressure there's going to be on these high PE tech stocks. I think uh, the Fed. Put actually uh, is uh, is dis- has disappeared right now. So that is, uh, I think, uh, the concern of the market because uh, we do have the Fed puts uh, over the last ten years. So um, the has Fed it disappeared? Do you think completely, or do you think maybe the Fed put strike is now at a much lower level? Maybe at a much lower level because mm. I think uh, the Fed may not uh, want the stock market to to tumble um, too much. So uh, we probably would still have uh, some Fed put. And, and also, I think another issue is whether that inflation is uh, sustainable. So I think that that is uh, another key variable in whether the Fed put is still there. But anyway, I think the market is uh, is uh, concerning about the disappearance of uh, the Fed put. So that's why the market actually uh, has uh, not much support in, uh, in the meantime. I mean, the, 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 the sort of the, the feeling in the market always over the last couple of years has been buy the dips, and it's, yep. it's worked pretty well, hasn't it? Would you buy the dip now for these tech stocks? Uh, for very short term, yes. Uh, I would, I would uh, bet for a month-end recovery. But uh, for the longer-term horizon, no. Uh, right. I think uh, we probably would still need to correct further in the valuation. And also, I think that people are quite concerned about the um, Fed put. And also, we would not have uh, the retail craze uh, again. Uh, the, 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 the influx of retail money actually is quite huge to propel the market to, to, to the high levels. So uh, that, I think, uh, will not appear. Uh, we appear uh, soon. So that would 
also be another factor. So I think uh, uh, we probably still need to see a further correction until we see some signs of a slowing in the inflation. And could we uh, see declines similar to the bursting of the dot-com bubble back at the end of the 1990s? I don't think so. I think uh, uh, right now it's already uh, 1999-2000 uh, scenario in many uh, smaller ones. So I think that people actually change the taste. Probably Apple, Microsoft uh, would still be the state of the market because uh, people uh, now would, would would go for the real value in the tech space. So they thought uh, they they would think um, Apple and Microsoft actually has very huge advantage in their business. So they would be safer, and the valuation is not that stretched. So I think uh, that probably would provide some fall in the index. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the main thing. You know, what you've seen in the recent past has been people buying ETFs and broad indices and, every, you know, the, the rising tide is lifting everyone. And now what you find is the tide is going off. And so you now start seeing a stock pickers kind of market where you've got to look at value, you've got to look at cash flows, actual profitability rather than just dreams of the future. So that's what you're going to see more and more is, is some kind of discrimination within the market between stocks that are or companies that are making actual money, cash flows, and have some real growth um, pot- potential versus uh, other people who are just talking about uh, you know dreams in the in the sky. I mean, uh, that's being highlighted now in the difference between funds like Kathy Wood's Ark Fund, for example, and Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. The gap now in performance has been really narrowed in the in the past, past few weeks now. So we've seen a collapse in this ARK Innovation Fund and a big increase in valuation of Berkshire Hathaway. So is that going to be the theme now, a switch out of growth stocks into value stocks? At least in the meantime, yes. I think uh, we need to see the um, stabilization in inflation to, to, to revive the ARK, uh, ARK, ARK side. So in the meantime, probably people will still go for value. And, and they will feel safer uh, in parking money on the value side because uh, they actually have a cash flow dividends, etc. And the valuation is not that high. Uh, of course, uh, many companies in the value side actually has not much uh, growth potential, but at least they are uh, steady and producing uh, uh, good uh, dividends. Like PNG actually has, has been quite steady after the result announcement. So I think that people would like companies like PNG right now. And how much is the hawkish Fed um, going to play a role in the markets over the coming weeks? Obviously, they're meeting this week. Do you get the feeling that they're sort of lurching quite significantly now to a much more hawkish policy than we were thinking about at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I, I think I think inflation actually is more of a concern than Fed. So it's sort of related. But the fact is that what you're seeing, everyone in the market is trying to figure out now, if you have actual inflation, if inflation comes in, which are the companies that can sustain uh, price rises to their customers and still maintain uh, market share versus companies which will get affected if uh, because they can't pass on increases in costs to customers. And so that's going to be what's going to drive individual stocks going forward. Um, and then related to that, of course, is you know how good is the Fed going to be in terms of controlling the inflation? So those are the kind of related subjects that, okay, if, if if you have inflation and the Fed can't control it, which are the companies which will suffer? Mm. And which are the companies which will still be sustainable, can, can still sustain cash flows? Um, and then the the hope, of course, is that you wouldn't get to the situation. But right now, the the, me- the market is in a sort of defensive m- mechanism where people are thinking about 
the potential that, that this gets, goes away from the Fed and the Fed wouldn't be able to control inflation. I was hearing over the weekend there's now some investment banks that are turning quite hawkish. There was one talking about the Fed uh, starting in March with a 50 basis point rate hike and then potentially raising rates every single meeting between now and the end of the year. Do you, do you see, are you as bearish as that on the Fed? Uh, I think uh, that depends on a lot of data. So uh, I have not do not have a crystal ball to see whether inflation is a is a, is a sustainable or just transitory. Of course, a transitory is, is a is a lower chance right now. Anyway, I think uh, we need to see the data because I think the Fed would uh, be very data dependent. But of course, uh, we probably would expect uh, at least a feet high this year. Yeah, yeah and and I, I can just say that on that data, I think that you know, the there's two kinds of data sets that are looking ominous. One is. You know, you just mentioned uh, in the preview about um, commodity prices going up. Oil is mm. keeps relentlessly going up, even though governments have released uh, oil into the markets uh, through their strategic strategic reserves. You still find oil tipping up slowly, and secondly, things like copper, gold are also going up. So you do you do find there are indications that that um, that inflation is creeping in terms of prices. Then on. On top of it, you can actually see the impact in terms of company announcements. Right? You saw all the financials talking about increase in uh, w- wage inflation. Their, their, their um, um, salary expenses have gone up. Their staff expenses have gone up, and you can, you're seeing more in terms of uh, some of the uh, the um, consumer staples talking about pr- uh, pricing pressure. So you are seeing that data come out into real life uh, prices and real life um, uh, impact. So. So that's why I think people are getting worried uh, that, uh, you know, if more of this data comes out, then the Fed will have to be probably more stringent than they'd expected. And what about its balance sheet? Almost regardless of the data, um, the Fed could start signaling it's going to start winding down its balance sheets. I mean, in many ways, it could do it this week, couldn't it? There's no reason now why it needs to still be adding to its balance sheet. Of course, I think uh, the market is now uh, passing in uh, some winding down of the balance sheet already. So I think uh, that is also data dependent. So I think uh, this uh, need, need, needed to be addressed later on, I think. Yeah. So when, what about emerging markets then? We've, we've seen emerging markets now outperform, haven't we, over the past month? The emerging market index is up about 3.6%, while the S&P is down about 3.6%. Um, the valuations are looking pretty good, aren't they, when, when you compare them to US shares? Is this now the time to be looking at some of these markets again? Yeah, I think again selectively, right? So what has happened was that when everyone's attention was to towards the U.S. markets, uh, valuations went up. Uh, sorry, prices went up um, um, in in those markets, mm-hmm. and people neglected the emerging markets. In fact, people were uh, rotating out of the emerging markets and putting money into the developed markets. And what now? What what's happening now is as people get out of the markets in, in North America, they're looking for selective valuations in emerging markets and that's where um, I think money is going into. So they, they, you know, there's some really good companies um, in, in Asia, for example, which have um, valuations which are attractive, which have cash flows and which can sustain um, inflation. So therefore, I think um, that's where the money is flowing in now. Alex, do you think uh, they're, they're looking good, some of these markets? Because um, a lot of these markets have already been raising interest rates for a while now. So are they better positioned to withstand the Fed starting to do the same? 
I think the outperformance actually is more up due to the uh, relaxation of uh, China monetary policy. So mm. uh, we are seeing uh, some strength in the Chinese equities, uh, especially in Hong Kong. So that is uh, lifting the whole um, emerging market. But we are seeing corrections in uh, Korea and Taiwan to continue. Uh, so I think uh, uh, probably um, Hong Kong would still be the place uh, uh, people like because uh, we have already discounted the policy risk and there's uh, some relaxation in the property market in China. But I don't think uh, this would be uh, very long term because um, if you look at the news today, then probably the regulatory framework in in the uh, mega tax in China actually is, is, is more or less the same. And then uh, the uh, property market in China actually probably may still be slowing down. So I think... Uh, uh, this is still 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 um, not not too attractive uh, given the risk. So uh, probably we would still benefit from fund flow, but uh, not too much upside. Do you think Hong Kong can ride out some of the local issues that we're facing at the moment? We're uh, heading into more lockdowns. We had that poll from uh, AmCham last week that said more than half the executives uh, polled by the American Chamber of Commerce said they were considering leaving the city. Um, do, do you think this is going to weigh on the markets or are the markets able to shrug that off? I think uh, right now the focus is not on lockdown. Actually, in the last Friday, we are seeing some strength in Hong Kong property stocks. I think that the people are now expecting uh, Hong Kong property companies to pick up bargains in China. So yeah. I think that is the story right now in the property sector in Hong Kong. So uh, the film actually has changed. So the lockdown may not have too much uh, issue because uh, we are seeing some pick up in good uh, assets uh, by some local companies like Curry in, in Shanghai. So I think uh, people are now expecting Hong Kong property stocks to, to, to take advantage of the current uh, stressed situation in China. So so the film actually has changed a little bit. And local banks actually may, may also benefit from this expectation as well. So I think uh, local sectors actually may not be that bad. Okay. Thank you both very much. Good to hear from you both. Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. Sunil Kashap, Director at FinMet. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. 8.25 up in Beijing, we have uh, Yanam Wu, who's Chairman of Zhenrong Bao. Morning, Yanam. Good morning, Peter. Nice to see you again. Thank you. Well, so we saw last week the People's Bank of China. It's cut uh, the one-year loan prime rate. It's also cut uh, its medium-term lending facility. How much do you think uh, these cuts are going to help stimulate the economy there? Yes, uh, this is the in the background. Uh, in December, is already cutting the reserve and uh, one-time uh, uh, mid-term the uh, the LPR back in the last year. So this, uh, if you look at the MLF, midterm facility, that measure that's introduced uh, uh, in the history, it's the fourth time the PBOC cut in the MLF. So I think there's three uh, aspects uh, the money budget policy want to show uh, the impact. Uh, one is if you consider U.S., uh, like the previous guest discussed, U.S. is more concerned about attacking the inflation in terms of uh, monetary policy, but China is more concerned about growth. Uh, it's really uh, the, the in last year, 
market economy was concerned about stagflation in both U.S. and China, but now the U.S. is turning about uh, you know probably moving the window of Fed increase uh, earlier to attack the inflation. But China still lack of internal growth engine. That's the main concern in from the PBOC's point of view and the government perspective. Mm-hmm. And the real the uh, concern is about lack of credit demand. So that's why in the uh, uh, the uh, PBOC meeting, uh, the uh, increasing the total uh, credit uh, uh, stability is the main objective of this monetary policy. If you look at the social financing number in December, uh, the new increase of credit uh, loan amount is under expectation. Mm-hmm. So, so this is uh, uh, really a a big uh, issue right now, the uh, both from the individual and household perspective, uh, there's no uh, uh, the, the no further demand for mid to long term loan demand. And if you look at the uh, enterprise level, the uh, also because of the uh, the uh, profit uh, expectation is going down, so the valuation of uh, uh, also. Uh, is weak, so the uh, enterprise's lack of demand of credit increase. So, so this is uh, the main concern right now. Isn't the problem though that if they go too much on loosening credit and loosening monetary policy, they're just going to create other problems like assisting the less productive sectors like the real estate sector, which they've been trying to rein in over the past year yeah. or so. Yeah, this is a paradox, I would say. Uh, it's really, uh, as your previous guests uh, uh, discussed about, I think one uh, aspect why it's now to doing the monetary policy from PBOC is really, uh, I think, the window of monetary action is narrowing because U.S. Uh, apparently this week, the Fed will discuss about uh, probably uh, the, uh, the increase in the rate uh, in, in, in March. So this leaves the PBOC's uh, window uh, monetary policy very narrow. So that's one aspect. Second is about, uh, I think this time is more about rebuilding the confidence. Uh, it's really, the uh, like I just mentioned, there's no uh, internal growth engine uh, mm-hmm. or the credit demand domestically. So that's why PBOC Vice Governor Mr. Liu mentioned about three pushes, you know, the sufficient pushes, the uh, the precise pushes, and also the Ahead uh, of schedule pushes, so so this is uh, really about stabilizing the economy and stop stab- stabilizing employment. So uh, this is a cartoon recently in the uh, circle is uh, when you look at this uh, PBOC uh, uh, the measure monetary policy. You normally the flow will go through banks to enterprise to to to, to individuals, but uh, this right now the. There's no demand from the the individual and the household and the enterprise side. So the, maybe the liquidity cannot really go to the real economy, but actually leaves in the bank. So that's a concern from uh, the monetary policy, whether it can lead to easing the credit. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, probably leads to be, uh, be checked by the market. That, that's why the the market also got a surprise, yeah. Mm, so maybe they need to do more. Perhaps more government spending would help. 
Yeah, that's uh, back to the old uh, model. <laughs> so that's why the, if you look at the uh, if you look at the, the actually the market, the RMB actually appreciates after their, mm. uh, the the PBOC cuts, and the equity market following the U.S. market went down, mm. entering the correction mood. So this is uh, some paradox. Uh, on the market as well. Okay, and sadly we've run out of time, but thank you very much. Yep. That's Yan Wu, chairman of Zhengrong Bell. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in the markets around Asia, the ASX 200 in Australia down 0.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, rebounding a little bit from its lows now, down about two-thirds of a percent. Uh, the Kospi in South Korea is off 0.9%. Futures markets indicating a decline of about 250 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. And in the commodities markets right now, Brent crude oil is trading at $87.83 a barrel. Gold is at $1,834 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Coming up after the news, back chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two rain and uh, mist patches at first. Sunny intervals in the afternoon. Maximum temperature is going to be around 21 degrees and then mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches in the next couple of days. It's 19 degrees right now, 25% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. Health authorities say they did not find COVID-19 cases from an overnight lockdown on Fukong House in Kwaising's Taiwohawa State. They said about 1,150 people were tested in the operation after a resident there was found to have the mutant strain of the coronavirus. The head of the World Health Organization for Europe, Hans Kluge, has said that the region could be moving toward the end of the pandemic once the current wave of Omicron has subsided. But not everyone in the organization agrees. The BBC's Danny Eberhardt has more. The Omicron variant continues to cause sharp surges in infections across much of Europe. But in some places, rates are dropping again. Hans Kluger sees a period of respite once this wave subsides, either because more people get vaccinated or because they'll have immunity post-infection. A senior WHO colleague of Hans Kluger is more cautious. Maria van Kerkhove told the BBC the pandemic would not end with Omicron, as the virus was still evolving and new variants could yet be more severe. Beijing officials say all two million residents of a neighborhood will be tested for COVID after the discovery of a cluster of coronavirus cases. Local officials identified Feng Tai District in southern Beijing as the epicenter of the cluster, with the number of cases in the capital totaling 43. Feng Tai is about 20 kilometers from the Winter Olympics freestyle skiing and snowboarding venue. Olympic organizers said 72 people who've arrived since a Winter Olympics bubble opened earlier this month have tested positive. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has said it's too soon to impose sanctions against Russia for its hostile stance towards Ukraine. Mr. Blinken said the deterrence value of the measures would be lost if they were triggered prematurely. The BBC's Peter Bowes reports. Antony Blinken says despite the continuing build-up of Russian forces, triggering sanctions prematurely would result in the loss of their deterrent effect. He added that the strategy was designed to dissuade President Putin from launching an invasion. The Secretary of State repeated the US view that if one more Russian force entered Ukraine in an aggressive manner, it would trigger a significant response with massive consequences for Russia. But he insisted there was still a path for diplomacy and dialogue. 
And several thousand people have demonstrated in Washington, D.C. against what they describe as the tyranny of COVID-19 vaccine mandates in the United States. They wave signs denouncing President Joe Biden and calling for freedom. Speaker after speaker took to the microphone in front of the white marble Lincoln Memorial to decry the rules, which, like other COVID restrictions aimed at reigning in the disease, have become a deeply polarizing political issue. That's the news from RTHK.